0: Living the Word Today.
1: So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what He wants to say to us.
0: LivingTheWordToday.com. Look,
1: the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living.
0: Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word.
1: The Word of God. Now I want you to fasten your eyes on verse 1 of chapter 7, if you have your Bible available or your device ready. And then as soon as I read this verse, I want you to think of Uh, Just whatever the first one word comes to mind, all right? A one-word reaction. You don't need to say it out loud. Just kind of get it in your mind. All right, ready? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. You got a word? Maybe the word is what or who or where are we talking about? It's one of those places where you have to kind of just slam on the brakes and pause a little bit. Now, this guy has already shown up earlier in this book. Uh, He's mentioned in chapter uh, 5 and in chapter 6 and then a bunch of times here in chapter 7. In fact, if you just kind of flip your page back to uh, chapter 5 for just a moment, you'll see in verse 6 of chapter 5 the first place he's mentioned, which he's quoting uh, from a verse that's found in Psalm 110. He says, it says there, verse 5, So Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was, said, but it was he who said, of, said to him, You are my son, today you have begotten me, verse 6. And he also says in another place, You are a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you see very clearly that there's a connection between high priest and Jesus and Melchizedek. So somehow these terms kind of triangulate on each other. Now, also, if you go down to verse 11, as he's speaking about this connection of high priest Melchizedek and Jesus, he says, of whom we have much to say. Then he takes a break and goes all the way through chapter 6 before he gets back to saying it. i will take a little break. we have much to say and hard to explain. That's my out for today, okay? That's my out for today. This is hard to explain, all right? So if you say, that was really hard. Well, he already admits that in, in the writing in, of the text, since you become dull of hearing. And it's hard to explain even with when your 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 hearing is not dull, so that's what we want to look at this morning, and we're going to talk about the sufficiency of the Savior, particularly the sufficiency of the Savior, to be our High Priest. Now, sometimes if you read a verse like that in chapter seven, verse one, and you kind of just you kind of zoom in on it, and you say, "I have a hard time understanding that." Here, let me give you a little Bible study advice. All right, when you zoom in on a verse, what you want to do is now zoom out. ...and look at a bigger picture and suddenly that little bit will become a little more clear what he's talking about. Because he's talking about this high priestly nature, high priestly role, position of Jesus Christ. And that's a theme that goes through the book. By the way, the phrase high priest appears 19 times in the book of Hebrews. The words high priest appear more times in Hebrews than any other book in the Bible. It's mentioned in 10 of the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews starting in chapter 2, going all the way through uh, chapter uh, 11. Uh, so it, it's a theme that goes through the book. So it's one of those that you just sort of, you know, high priest, he's high priest, he's a great high priest, and we just sort of, okay, kind of you know, kind of bump over it like a speed bump. But this is a major, 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 major theme of the book. And the problem, and the thing is, this reality comes from the reality that we have to see Jesus indeed as this high priest. Now, this, this man known as Melchizedek only appears in the narrative, in the history, in three verses in the Old Testament. So you, way we say a seemingly minor character, he's this shadowy kind of mysterious character just kind of steps into the scene and out of the scene. And if you want to, you can follow me all the way back to Genesis if you want to, Genesis chapter 14, and we can just read his story quickly because it is indeed very brief. Uh, Genesis chapter 14 beginning in verse 18, 18, 19, and 20. Now, the setting of this story is Abraham, the one through whom all the, promise, all the promises and all the covenants come to the Jews, their patriarch, their, their founder, their father, if you want to say it that way, earthly sense, was uh, living in Canaan. He had a nephew by the name of Lot who was living in Sodom, and you probably know a little bit about that story. Well, there's a bunch of uh, marauding nations and armies that come down and kind of come through Sodom and defeat them and carry off all their goods. And, and, Ab- and excuse me, Lot is kidnapped and taken north, if you want, up in that direction. So the story tells us that Abraham got his servants together, and they march after this marauding band. They go all the way up to Dan, which is sort of the, 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 the border, the northern border of Canaan. they go on up north of Damascus. And there they are able to fight and they're able to recover all the goods and Lot and company are saved and they bring them back. As they're coming back home, verse 18, just sort of this shadowy figure just sort of pops up. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. That's it. That's all we know. Now, for a Jew reading that text would say, now, there's something a little strange here, because this is in the time of Abraham. Flash forward several hundred years to the time of Moses, when the Mosaic law is given, the covenant of Moses. And he he institutes at that point the priesthood, that comes through the line of Aaron, through the family, through the line of Aaron, through the family of Levi. Okay, so all the priests were Levitical; they were of the tribe of Levi. So how do you have this priest showing up sort of out of nowhere, and it says he's a priest of the Most High God, he's he's this king of Salem, so he's a both king and a priest, and he speaks on behalf of God a blessing to Abraham, and he speaks back a blessing to God, and he gives him bread and wine as a, as a part of this celebration. And then it says that Abraham gave him a tithe. A tenth of the spoils that they recovered from these marauding uh, uh, terrorists, we might say it that way in today's parlance, that they, he gives part of that as a gift to this priest. And then he vanishes from the story. Well, what is that all about? Well, he appears one more time, and this is found, and I already made an allusion to it, uh, chapter 5, the passage I just read to you makes allusion to it. But in Psalm 110... David writes a psalm which is clearly messianic. By messianic we mean it's a psalm that talks about the Messiah who would come. And we know that the Messiah who came was Jesus, correct? But he says in this, in this passage, down in verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not relent you, this coming Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he talks about how he's going to execute judgment on his his, his, his enemies, back in verse 1 of Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, so the Lord said to my Lord, so that's God the Father speaking to God the Son, uh, sit at my right hand, where's Jesus sitting right now? He's seated at the right hand of God, till I make your enemies your footstool, and the Lord will send a rod, a rod of strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. So this is, this is clearly messianic. So when the writer of Hebrews brings up the name Melchizedek, that's those four verses in the Old Testament is all we have. But it is essential. This is a linchpin for the rest of the whole book. That's why he spends all of chapter 7, a little bit of chapter 6, a little bit of chapter 5 talking about this so that we would understand this. Now, here's the crux of the matter. So, okay, put on your thinking cap, okay? I need a little logical thinking here just for a moment, okay? So... This was the argument. By the way, we're hearing the counter-argument in Hebrews. We're not hearing the argument that was made. So this is kind of like hearing half of a phone call. You're hearing someone argue with somebody, but you're only hearing the argument of the person nearby, not the person on the other end of the phone, okay? So we can put together, here was the argument that says, you know, Jesus is not enough. He's not sufficient. You need something more. You need the Old Testament law. You need the covenant. You need the sacrifice. You need the temple. You need the priesthood. You need the high priest to represent you to God all those things are necessary so you can't so Jesus in himself is not sufficient that's what the argument was made and the logic goes like this number 1 we need a priest we are sinners god is holy we need someone who can be our intermediary to go between us and god a high priest all right number 2 they would have said jesus is not a priest primarily because he is of levi he is a priest of The priests all came through Levi. Jesus we know by his genealogy, which is given in Luke and Matthew, written out in text, that he was of the tribe of Judah. Wrong tribe. Therefore, Jesus can't be a priest. We need a priest. Jesus isn't the priest, so you reach this logical conclusion. We need more than Jesus. Jesus. You need more than Jesus. What do you need and what were they telling the Christians in that day, especially the Hebrew Christians? You need all this Old Testament truth. You need to keep the law. You need to keep the ceremonial law. You need to keep the sacrificial law. You need to keep the Levitical law. And if you do all that plus Jesus, that's okay. But you don't have Jesus without adding that to it. So the writer of Hebrews, knowing this, He takes time to prove the counter-argument. And here's the counter-argument. Number one, we need a priest. He would agree with that. We would agree with that. We need someone to go between and remedy this problem of sin. But here's where the linchpin fits into this whole construct. Jesus is a priest, not a Levitical priest, but He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek. He's going to try to prove that. If Jesus then is a true priest, a true high priest then Jesus is all you need. So this seems strange to us, but to a Jewish mindset of the early first century, or even the late first century, or the first few centuries, you would understand that this sounds so strange. High priest, we know who the high priest is. We know his name. We know where, where he serves down in Jerusalem. He, he ministers in the temple, which was obviously still standing in the day that this book was written. So with that in mind... Jesus can't be the high priest. He's not of Levi. And then Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, just, let me just blow your minds here. Let me just clear the air. Let me just level everything. Let's level the playing field. Let's, let's clear the board with this reality. Jesus is a high priest. And remember, he mentions it 19 times in this book. He is a high priest. He mentions it in 10 of the 13 chapters of Hebrews. And the fact that he is a high priest has to be proven. It has to be guaranteed. It has to be true. And it's true because he is a priest of a different order. Verse 1 of chapter 7, Hebrews again. So that's why it now begins to make sense. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So first of all, we need to understand this basic idea. You ready? And this is true for us as well as them all those centuries ago. Jesus is all you need. Uh, you can, if you want to say amen, you can do it. Jesus is all you need. I, I, go ahead. It, it is true. He's all you need. Now, we don't have this pull back to Judaism. We're not particularly upset that Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi. That's not our issue. But I'll tell you what, that is our issue. Because we are pulled in other ways. Because our enemy Satan wants to pull us to remind us of his thinking, his logic, and to tell us, you need something more than Jesus. He likes to tell us that you need something more than Jesus to save you. You know, you gotta, you got to add your good works in. It just can't be as simple as believing in Jesus... No, Jesus is all you need. You know, he tells us you need something more to be a mature Christian. You know, you need to do these things and you've got to have this strict code of conduct and you've got to do and not do and not do. Now, we do things because we love Him, but we don't do things to earn his favor because we already have it. We have all the grace that we'll ever need. We started studying that earlier in this book of Hebrews. So he is sufficient for our Christian life. And he's, he's also sufficient for our eternal life. So that is the crux of the issue for us. It pulls, we are pulled in a different, different directions. But the all overarching reality of this whole passage, and by the way, we're just going to get started. Okay? You look down, there's 28 verses in this, this chapter. And it gets very, as the writer says, it's hard to explain. Okay? So we're just going to get started. We'll plug, we're going we're to just push on through as we go down the road in Hebrews. We're just going to get started. But first of all, we need to understand, Jesus is all you need. And again, this theme that He is better, it's all a contrast. Hebrews is all a contrast. Jesus is better than everything. He's better than all these things He's going to mention. And here He's better than the Levitical priesthood, better than the earthly high priest, because He's our great high priest who didn't just pass into the Holy of Holies. This high priest has passed into the heavens above all things. That's what He's going to get to in this chapter. All right? So first of all, He is better by the titles that He possesses, okay? The titles He possesses. Now, let me give you another word, just because... If I haven't confused you already, let me confuse you a little more, okay? That's my job today. No, not really. There is something about this mysterious, shadowy figure of Melchizedek who just steps into Abraham's story, then he steps out. David mentions him in one little verse in Psalm 110, you know, Jesus the Messiah will be appointed after the order of Melchizedek, and then the writer here just kind of gets, he goes down the rabbit hole of Melchizedek, if we could say it that way. Divinely inspired by the Spirit of God rabbit hole, but it's, it's down that sort of this way of thinking. So you have to understand that there's, there's something about this man that also pictures something about Jesus. There's a Bible study word that we use, and theologians like to create big words and impress you with them, but the word is typology. T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. Typology. And that is there's things in the Old Testament that pictures Jesus, and then you go over in the New Testament, you see the completion of the picture. I'll give you an example. In the book of Exodus... We have the story of, uh, uh, of where um, the people were being plagued because of their disobedience, and God sent serpents throughout the, the midst of them, okay? And these serpents were biting them. Actually, it's not uh, Exodus, it's Numbers, Numbers 21. And, and they cry out, and, and Moses goes before God, and God says, here's what you do to remedy all these snakebite victims. You create a, a metal serpent... And you put it on a pole, and you stick the pole in the ground, and anybody who looks at this metal serpent will be healed of their snake bite. Does that make any sense? Well, God was calling them to say, you just got to believe me. You got to take my word for it. So that is the type. The antitype is found in a very familiar passage of Scripture in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 14, two verses before John 3, 16, Jesus said this, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The type was this snake on a pole. And Jesus is the antitype, the completion of that, that as he was lifted up, that was a picture of that lifted up. Sometimes we wouldn't make the connection, unless the writers of the Scripture make the connection, but it makes the connection. So this priest... This Melchizedek is picturing in some fashion who Jesus is. The first is seen in his titles. It says, he is the king of Salem. The king of Salem. That's what he mentions in in the text. And he mentions in in verse 3, the king of Salem meaning king of peace. The word Salem is, is associated with the word shalom. It's a derivative of it. So shalom. By the way, that Salem also appears in another word that we're familiar with when there was a place where the temple then was dwelling. It was where David set up his, his capital of his kingdom. And it was known as Jerusalem. So the place that Melchizedek was the king of was, was Jerusalem, where two important events happened. Number one was, it was on the Mount, Mount Moriah where Jerusalem now sits, where Abraham was caused to take Abraham to be a sacrifice you know, sacrifice his own son, the only son of promise, a type. And an antitype, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was truly sacrificed in Jerusalem at his crucifixion. So there's a connection back. He's the king of peace. Is Jesus the king of peace? We're told in Scripture, New Testament, he's the prince of peace. He came to give us peace. So it's all about bringing us peace, not just peace in our heart and feeling better, although that's part of it. It's peace between us and God, this, 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 this division that we have. Secondly, He's mentioned as the priest of the Most High. It's what he says, priest of the Most High God. Actually, in, in Genesis, it says the priest of God Most High, however you want to say it. So he was a priest. Now, how did Melchizedek, who was not of Abraham, was not of that line, not of that people, how, how did he become a priest of the Most High God? How did he even know God? I don't know, and neither do you. But the fact that he's called that indicates that he was connected to the God Most High. By the way, another little tidbit in there. Remember when he brought bread and wine to be the part of the celebration as the priest of God, this king of Salem, king of peace, this one who comes as the priest of the Most High God. Does that remind you of something else? It may remind you of something else we're going to do two weeks from this Sunday. We're going to gather right in this place and we're going to have some, some juice and we're going to have some bread and it's going to picture the, 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 shed, the shed blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus as we celebrate around the table of communion. I don't think that's by accident that that's what he brought and that's what they, they, they shared communion together on. I think that was a picture as well. So he's a priest to the Most High God. The major theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is the priest of the Most High God. And I, I'm so tempted to run down to verse 25 and 26 and get ahead of myself because it talks about this glorious high priest. I'm not going to do it but you can do it if you want after the fact. You can do that as homework. But this great high priest, this great high priest is able to save. As he says in verse 25, I'll at least share this much. Save to the uttermost. He's able to save. He's able to save your soul. Save your soul. That amazing grace that we just sang about just a moment ago. He is the the author of that. So he's the priest, the one that brings us back to God. Third title is this. He says he's the king of righteousness. The king of righteousness. Jesus in and of himself was uniquely qualified to be our Savior because he was a righteous person. He was a righteous person because he never sinned. You and I are righteous persons, not because we never sinned, but because we're connected to a righteous person, the great high priest who's passed into the heavens. And it leads to this conclusion, this simple conclusion, that Jesus is indeed all you need. He's all you need. Now, sometimes we have some distortions in our thinking. And I'm just going to give you some categories to kind of help you start thinking about this. We'll think more about this as we go through this book. It's going to take us probably at least three weeks, three Sundays to get through Chapter Seven of Hebrews. All right. And I don't. I, I want to excite you, and I want you to motivate you. I don't want to say, "Oh no, you know, no, it's good stuff." All right. So we're going to plunge on through. But this reality is this. The distortion, what what our world distorts, our own minds distort, and what Satan distorts is simply this that I need to experience more than what I'm currently experiencing. I need something more. And sometimes that comes in in just a, 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 a relational sense. You know, we're tempted that, you know, my relationships, whatever it is, whether I'm single or I'm married or whatever, it's just not enough. There's something out there beyond that that I need more. I'm missing out. And we have these tugs on our hearts. Whatever God has given you, and whatever Jesus is accomplishing in and through your life, friends, it's enough. Don't fall for the lie that you need more. You're missing out. Everybody else is having fun. And sometimes that's what keeps people from coming to to believe in the Savior to begin with. Because it sounds like Christianity following Christ, a disciple of Christ. That sounds so boring. I can't be living it up. I can't do anything, everything I want. I can't just, you know, living for the next party, so to speak. Trust me. No matter what the, how, how, how rich and how vibrant the party is, there's always a time that someone has to turn out the lights and clean up the mess, Right? And uh, we're told about later in Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about Moses who, who rejected the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, sin will take you for a while. It'll feel good for a while. But you know what? Satan, when he makes a deal with you, always pays off in counterfeit dollars. Jesus is enough. If you're feeling a tug to, to say, I, I can't surrender to Christ. What's it going to do to my lifestyle? What's it going to do to my relationships? What's it going to, you know, God may do something amazing with me and like send me to be a preacher or something. <sighs> like that's the most awful thing that could happen. So put that aside. Jesus is enough. Why? Because we have a great high priest. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the priest of God most high. He is every way, in every way qualified to be our high priest. Whether that be preventing you from saving, to, to, to put your trust in him for your salvation, or that be a pull in our own hearts as a Christian believers. If you got Jesus, he's all you need. Now, I don't, know what, well, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know what the tug is. I don't know what the pull is. I don't know what the temptation is. I don't know what the struggle is, but I do know this. The answer is this. Jesus, the king of peace. Jesus, the king of righteousness. And Jesus, the priest of the most high God, is all you need. And if you know him, friends, he's all you have, and that's a good place to be. Then he goes on, and this is the next uh, section, okay? He is better by his character, his titles but his character. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but like, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And you read verse 3 and say, what is he talking about? What in the world is he talking about? Someone who doesn't have a father and a mother, who doesn't have any genealogy, has no beginning of days or end of life. What what does that mean? How can that be? Well, again, if you zoom in, you'll miss the point. If you zoom out, you'll get the point. Later he's going to talk about verse 6, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and so forth. The Jews of this day, in fact, Paul addresses it. You You don't get into endless genealogies. You know, they, they were just like, you know, tribe here and tribe there. And what tribe are you a part of? And who you descended from? Who's your father, grandfather, great-grandfather? And they just went to seed on this stuff. And, it, and the fact that Jesus was not of Levi was like, oh, scandal, we can't have this. So what is he talking about, neither father or mother? It's just like you can't document in his beginning, his origin, his father, his mother. There's not a genealogy for for him. He's not of the 12 tribes. He's not a descendant of Abraham. He is outside of all of that. So he has no earthly credentials that we can identify, that we can go to the records. You go to the courthouse, you go to to the synagogue or the temple and find some records or family records. Those do not exist because God can do what he wants with whomever he wants, however he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And if he wants to bring a Melchizedek into the scene of the, of, of the outside of the normal way of a priesthood, and he can be a priest of the Most High God, a King of Righteousness, the King of Peace, and he can come and have communion with Abraham and bless God and bless Abraham and receive a gift in return, then God is able to do it. And he's kind of like giving him a little smack. Hey. You people that have been given in this argument that Jesus is not qualified, let me tell you this. He is entirely qualified because this is outside the norm. And how often does God operate outside the norm? Oftentimes. Number two, he's without, credentials, without earthly credentials. He has eternal credentials. That's the reason he says in this text, neither beginning or end. Now, again, it kind of merges here. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about Melchizedek. How does this overlap? I told you it was hard to explain, didn't I? I'm not quite sure how that overlap happens, but it, it is all sort of commingled together. We know that Jesus did have an earthly mother. He did not have an earthly father. We know he, etern- he existed eternally before his incarnation. We know he eternally exists as high priest. So, with all that being said, we, it, it's beyond our scope of comprehension, but he had the eternal credentials. And that reminds us of this distortion number two. Sometimes we feel like we need to influence more than we, we do. That all, that's all packaged into the cluster of things like pride or fame or notoriety or we want people to recognize, we want the affirmation from people, oh, you're wonderful and everything's good. That, that desire for influence, it, it, it can lead to all sorts of things if that's what we're living for. If we're living for us looking good, we can be lifted up with pride and pride always is the setup for a fall. It can lead us to be manipulative. manipulative. I'm going to manipulate you in a way so you'll treat me so I feel better. It can be. It can cause just utter doubts in our minds, like I'm not good enough. No, no one's listening to me. I have. No, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not like she is. I'm not like he is. I'm not part of them. Well, Melchizedek was not part of them, and Jesus was rejected by his own people and nailed to a cross. It kind of tells you that influence. That comes to make us feel better is not the point of our life on this planet. The point of our life on this planet is to know God and serve Him. End of story. And if we feel like we're not enough because we don't measure up to someone's standard, feel like we're we 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 need more influence because we don't have a we don't have as much of a of a platform as other people, then we need to come back to this reality that Jesus is all you need. If he loved you, if he saved you, if he's your Lord, he's he's building a place for you in the Father's house, and someday he's going to come back and get you. As he said in John 14, that where I am, you may be also. You have all you need. Then we go into 4 through 10, and again, this is a little murky, all right? I wish I could could give you more clarity than I can give you, but I'll do the best I can. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was. Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. He must have been a special guy because Abraham viewed him as worthy of this gift. Verse 5, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they may have come from the loins of Abraham. Okay, so a a, a a tithe was one-tenth of their income or one-tenth of their crop or whatever it was. Now, tithing is not really mentioned in the New Testament as normative for us as believers, all right? It's mentioned here because he's talking about the Old Testament tradition. Although we are to give to God's work. And the New Testament phrase, and I'll just borrow this from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, give as the Lord prospers you. We would say it this way. We need to give proportional to God's blessing. And if a tithe is a convenient way to do that, then... I think that's a good starting point. Maybe for some people, a tithe is getting off cheap. Maybe for some people, that would be a real stretch. But you know what? We give as God blesses us. And God does bless us in return. I don't think he can qualify. it as I put $10 in the offering plate. That means I'm going to have $100 by the end of the week. okay? But I do know this. God is not going to be a debtor to any of us. If we give to him, he's going to give in return in some fashion. Maybe spiritual blessing, maybe opportunity, maybe long delay. I don't know but we give, all right? And this is not a passage on giving anyway, but I did want to just notate why we were mentioning a tithe. So, moving on, verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. All right? The, Abraham was the forefather of the Levites. The Levites take the tithes from the people, okay? Verse 6, "...but he whose genealogy is not derived from them," Melchizedek, "...received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises." That's what we read about in Genesis chapter 14. "...Now beyond all contradiction," here's he's going to sum this up. "...all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better." In other words, the the blessing goes in that direction, all right? The lesser is blessed by the better. "...here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives." Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. <laughs> now, this, gets, this is where it gets a little murky. Look at verse 10. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So, I hope I can put this together. If I fail miserably, I, the point is here, still here, okay? And this is, by the way, he's better than Abraham. That's the next point. You want to you move on. He's better than Abraham. Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. That's where we're, that's where we're at. So, the reality is, that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Earthly priests of Levi received tithes from the people, but they are identified back to Abraham because he was their forefather. So he makes the conclusion that even the Levites who are taking tithes for you today, through Abraham, they were paying tithes to Melchizedek. Therefore, Melchizedek is a higher office than the Levitical priesthood. Now, that's kind of a long daisy chain to get around there, but the reality. But here's this 4 through 10. He is better... Than Abraham, and Abraham because Abraham gave him ties, and then the Levites give him ties through Abraham. I said that was confusing, but if you just go back to this little phrase, it'll be summed up. All right, where it says that uh, that he is better, that he the lesser is blessed by the better. It's all a way of saying this: Jesus is our great high priest. How is he a high priest? Remember the argument. He can't be a high priest. He's not of Levi. Therefore, Jesus isn't a high priest. He says, no, no, we need a high priest. Jesus is a priest by the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, he is the great high priest. And here's the reality. He is all that you need. Sometimes the distortion is this. You know, I just need more stuff. If I had more stuff, I'd be happy. If I had more stuff, I would be content. If I had more stuff, I'd have more opportunity. If I had more stuff, how much is ever enough, by the way? Uh, I've known some people that are extremely wealthy and they're very unhappy. I've known some people who are poor and they're very joyous in life. Now, it is not derived necessarily from their poverty. I'm just saying it's independent of your financial status to be joyful and contented, okay? Doesn't mean you can't be rich and be contented. It just means it's independent of our of our financial status. But sometimes we hear this whisper in our ear. I was driving over here this morning. And as I came around the curve on in the interstate, there's this big lighted sign that the Powerball is up to $1.55 billion. We better all go sign up, right? One point, what can I do? with? Well, first of all, the government's going to take 60% of it before you ever see it, okay? It's called taxes. And number two, you have about as much chance to be struck by lightning three times on a Wednesday in February as you do to win the Powerball. Okay, that's the odds, okay? But we have these appeals, you know, just like, oh, if I could just do this. Jesus is all you need. I don't know where you're being pulled today as a believer, but here's what this passage tells us. Jesus is the fully qualified, fully credentialed, fully in place high priest. He is the high, we need a high priest. He is the high priest and he is all you need. He's all that I need. Have you found that Jesus is all you need? Are you experiencing that? We've come together to worship today. Hope our worship has drawn our hearts back to Him. I hope the Word has drawn our hearts back to Him. I hope our decision-making is drawn our heart back to Him. If you don't know Him as Savior, we'd love to have a conversation with you and introduce you to Him. And we'll be available right up here at the front after the service if that's you. If you're a believer, find some time today just to express your heart and say, Lord, I thank you. I praise you. That sometimes it feels like, Lord, you are all I have. The reality is, Lord, you are all I need.
0: Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the Scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.